Hello there, and welcome to Pick 6 Movies, where each season we select six, yes, six movies, all related to one thing. Then on each episode, we explore the people in front of and behind the camera and try to make sense out of how and why each movie was made. But that's not all. After that, we give you a detailed review of the entire film to see if they're any good. I'm Chad Cooper, and along with Mr. Bo Ransdell, a guy that I've known for over four decades, we are presenting this season's theme, The Old Men and DC, where we are taking on six action-packed, high-flying, thrill-a-minute movies, allegedly, all based on DC comic book superheroes. This is Season 5, Episode 2, and we are heading to the swamps of Louisiana to get down and dirty with Return of Swamp Thing. Bo and I have seen a lot of movies, and we've seen a lot of bad movies, but Return of Swamp Thing may be the best worst movie we have ever or will ever review. It is a glorious, cinematic train wreck filled with incoherent writing, not very special effects, and performances that rival most elementary school holiday pageants. I love this movie. And you know who else loves this movie? Well, none other than the chloro to my fill, Mr. Bo Ransdell. And speaking of Bo, let's turn things over to him as he provides us with the only part of this episode that is going to make any meaningful sense when it comes to Return of Swamp Thing. Bo, take it away. In 1972, DC Comics launched a new title called Swamp Thing, which would run for 24 issues until 1976. The 70s saw an interesting uptick in horror comics. DC also boasted House of Mystery and Weird War Tales, while Marvel tried their hand with Werewolf by Night and Mobius the Living Vampire, among many others. The most well-realized of all these to spring out of the resurgence of horror comics was helmed by comic writer Lynn Wine, who, along with artist Bernie Wrightson, created The Swamp Thing. The original story, as the comics told it, was of the brilliant scientist Alec Holland, who, along with his wife Linda, was pursuing research in a bio-restorative formula which could help solve the world's hunger problems. Nathan Ellery, the head of a group known as The Conclave, sends men to destroy the lab, and Linda Holland is killed by the same bomb blast that sends a flaming Alec Holland into the waters of the Louisiana swamp, burned and coated in his own bio-restorative formula. The plants of the swamp fuse with Holland to create Swamp Thing. The original run story included federal agent Matt Cable, a friend of the Hollands, who was tracking down the Swamp Thing to pay for the murders of his two scientist friends, and there was a rivalry with the immortality-obsessed Anton Arcane. Swamp Thing would eventually form a special bond with Abby Arcane, the niece of his nemesis. Over time, Swamp Thing learns that he is an elemental, a primal creature created to protect the green, or nature as a whole. His belief that he is Alec Holland, he learns, is just the memory of a man, and that he has no more humanity than the natural world he defends. This blend of pathos and tragedy and the search for a sense of self make for some compelling stories. Swamp Thing also took all of Gotham hostage one time. He's an interesting hero that exists alongside the DC stable of superheroes, but is outside their scope too. He is something both more and less than a man, 
constantly in pursuit of the humanity he can only recall. Anyway, after the title shuttered in 1976, it would be left largely forgotten until 1982 when a second series was created to capitalize on the new film coming that summer. The film was helmed by veteran horror director Wes Craven, who was eager to prove to studios that he could do more than the socio-political and aggressive horror movies he was best known for. Craven would both write and direct, with a budget of about $2.5 million. This would show the big-shot Hollywood producers that the guy who created The Hills Have Eyes could also do a bigger movie with more mainstream appeal, some stunts and action sequences, and do it all on time and on budget. And to his credit, Wes Craven did exactly that. The film may have been on budget, but Craven had to cut a lot of scenes, especially in the third act. He was never fully content with the look of the monsters in the film, and the horror maestro would later look at Swamp Thing as a film that, along with Deadly Friend, nearly sunk him as a filmmaker. While on the set, however, he did have an idea for another movie called A Nightmare on Elm Street that would cement Craven's legacy forever. The movie did alright, but it was unmemorable, save for an Adrian Barbeau topless scene that was shot for the European version and made its way to the rental shelves of VHS stores in the US, launching more than one boy into puberty. Critics noted the campiness and the lightweight treatment of themes, which was kind of unique in Craven's work. He was a serious director. In that same year, another director was making his first feature. A brash 32-year-old named Jim Wynorski. Wynorski was a film fan from his early years and went to film school in Long Island out of high school, but he flunked out. He took a job at Doubleday, a book publisher, where he worked in fiction until 1977, when he blew up his life, quit his job, and moved to Los Angeles to work in movies. He landed a job as location manager for the television show adaptation of the popular film Breaking Away, but he was summarily fired. We'll touch on that later. On one of the location managing flights, however, Wynorski met Roger Corman. Now, if you don't know who Roger Corman is, he's basically the producer who launched a thousand careers. From Jack Nicholson to Joe Dante, Roger Corman had a hand in their success. Known for never making a movie that didn't make a profit, Corman specialized in sci-fi and horror cheapies that were cranked out and dumped into matinees. Some were good, most were mediocre to awful, but they filled a hole in the market. Corman hired Wynorski into his publicity wing, and Wynorski set about writing more than ad copy for Corman. He pinned his first produced screenplay, Forbidden World, in 1982, and sold a couple of others to Corman, even producing Screwballs, a Roger Corman take on sex comedies like Porky's. The first movie he directed was The Lost Empire, which was not, surprisingly, a Roger Corman production. The money came from a theater owner named Henry Plitt, who wanted to make a low-budget sci-fi movie as a tax loss. When it was done, a mix of science fiction hokum and scantily clad actresses, Plitt liked the movie and put it in some theaters where The Lost Empire actually turned a couple of bucks. Now, Wynorski's next feature would be produced by Corman. Julie Corman, see what I did? That's right, Roger's wife was in the production game too, and she hired Wynorski to do a movie about teens stalked by killer security robots in 1986's Chopping Mall, a.k.a. Killbots. It's actually pretty good as low-budget movies about killer security robots go. This would mark perhaps the height of Wynorski's success as a filmmaker. 
Roger Corman liked chopping Maul well enough to hire Wynorski to direct Deathstalker 2, a sword and sorcery mess, and Big Bad Mama 2 with Angie Dickinson. He then gave Tracy Lords a role in the remake of Not of This Earth, also produced by Roger Corman. This was all prelude to his attachment to The Return of Swamp Thing in 1989. Up until now, the movies Wynorski made were legitimate. They were real movies, if low-budget affairs, and now he had a chance to make something real. He was given $7 million and returning actor Louis Jordan. Producer Michael Uslan held the movie rights to both Swamp Thing and Batman, picked up for a song in the early 80s, and there was a new adaptation of Batman coming down the pipe from Tim Burton. Uslan decided that it might be time to dust off Swamp Thing too. Wynorski amped up the camp of the original and hired on a busty blonde in the form of Heather Locklear, who would be playing Abby Arcane. Dick Durock, who had made a living playing thugs on television, reprised his role as Swamp Thing. Sarah Douglas, who played Ursa, the lady villain in Superman and Superman 2, shows up as Dr. Lana Zarell. Our pair of muscle for the film, Gun and Poinsettia, are played by Joey Segal and Monique Gabriel, respectively. Joey Segal is still working here and there, and Monique Gabrielle became a sexy Wynorski regular, appearing in his follow-ups, Transylvania Twist, 976 Evil 2, Munchie, and even crossed over into low-budget movies from director Fred Olin Ray, another purveyor of Z-grade horror movies with rampant boobery. Her last film was Planet of the Erotic Ape in 2002, just saying. The pair of photography challenge kids, Omar and Daryl, are played by Ronrico Lee and Daniel Emery Taylor, respectively. You don't know this yet, but you want to know more about Daniel Emery Taylor. This fine fellow has popped up in a number of low-budget horror flicks, one of which I inadvertently watched unrelated to my research for this show. It's called For a Few Zombies More, and it's better than it sounds. His latest films include Paranormalis, Confessions of a Grave Robber, and Repulse. Good for him, you know. There's no denying his screen charisma. Ronrico Lee has done much more legitimate television and thus is less interesting. So, $7 million later, Return of Swamp Thing becomes a movie. The camp is way up and it goes for some broader comedy while still delivering on the rubber monster goodness of the original. But before we open up the floor to discuss this thing, what of our upstart director Jim Wynorski? The Return of Swamp Thing was received with critical disdain, and the box office was nothing to write home about either. Opening in the same month as the last good Indiana Jones movie will do that to you. Also, did I mention that Batman, the Tim Burton film that proved The Dark Knight was cinema-ready, opened a month later? That's right, the Tim Burton Batman was a contemporary of The Return of Swamp Thing, produced by the same guy. I ask you to do a quick mental contrast of those two films. Anyway, Wynorski flirted with the mainstream all through the 1990s when he made a few shockers for Roger Corman, including The Wasp Woman or the Vampirella adaptation, but those sat alongside Body Chemistry 4 and Dinosaur Island. In 2000, he wrote and directed The Bear Wench Project. It might be hard to detect, but this was a parody of the Blair Witch Project released the year before. So this softcore porn parody of Blair Witch involves some busty girls entering a haunted forest where they are possessed by a spirit that makes them get it on. The success and low investment in the film led Wynorski further down this road. 
Other parodies, including fittingly a pair of sequels to The Bear Winch Project, The Witches of Brestwick, Alabama Jones and the Busty Crusade, The Brestford Wives, all followed. You may be sensing a theme. It turns out these parodies were cheap and quick to make and turned a decent profit. In 2009, documentarians followed Wynorski for the filming of Papatopoulos, so named for one of the many pseudonyms Wynorski uses. Given his volume of cinematic output, he was asked by cable channels who ran his exploitation films to provide another name other than his own for the credits, so it didn't look to viewers like all the softcore action in the After Dark sections of their channels weren't directed by one dude, even though they were. If you've ever indulged in a late-night movie featuring some cheesy sci-fi plot and lots of gratuitous nudity without actual penetration, you're probably a Wynorski viewer. It's a fascinating documentary, one that details the production of The Witches of Brestwick, which was filmed in only three days. Besides being interesting as a glimpse into the world of straight-to-cable production, it reveals how Wynorski himself is both obsessed with his movies of lovely ladies bearing their bosoms and haunted by the notion that he isn't really making honest-to-goodness movies. His work has become somewhat dichotomous, playing at both the softcore films like Shark Babes and Scared Topless, and the more mainstream, if equally silly, Piranaconda and Camel Spider for the Sci-Fi Channel. For me, it begs the question, is it better to be a filmmaker who never makes a single movie, or a filmmaker who spends his entire career making movies, but of a type that guarantees that Jim Wynorski or H.R. Blueberry, or Arch Stanton, or Noble Henry, or whatever he's calling himself, will only be remembered as a hack and a huckster who made the worst kind of common denominator entertainment. I honestly don't know the answer to that question. And one final note on our conflicted hero at the center of the story. Remember how he flunked out of film school and got hired from his location manager job? See, it turns out that Jim Wynorski is also a real monster on sets. As evidenced in the documentary Papatopoulos, he is cruel to the women on his sets and dismissive of their complaints. As one actress put it, somebody pulled the nipple out of Jim Wynorski's mouth a little too soon. And you can see more of the mammary-obsessed and rage-fueled Wynorski with the release of Cobra Gator later this year. Maybe after all is said and done, the reason Wynorski never reached the pinnacle of his profession might be a combination of restrained talent, the allure of the easy dollar, and old-fashioned being a big jerk. But what of his forays into legitimacy? Is The Return of Swamp Thing a fitting sequel? Is it as boobtastic as Wynorski's other work? And how incredible is Daryl in this? For these questions and more, I turn to my co-host, Chad Cooper, and present to you, ladies and gentlemen, Flora and Fauna, 1989's The Return of Swamp Thing. Welcome back, ladies and uh, and gentlemen, to Pick Six Movies. I am Bo Ranstow. With me, as always, is the uh, the the adorable, uh, <laughs> the effervescent Chad Cooper. I'm looking forward to discussing some swamp adventures. I'm looking forward to partaking in some conversation that really looks at some performances that set a bar that's so low. I'm not sure that anyone will ever be able to crawl under it. 
I messaged you after watching this movie that this is probably going to be the both the the best and the worst movie we've ever done on this show or will ever do. It has the worst performance of anything I've ever seen that can arguably be called a legitimate feature film. But is it a legitimate feature film? The real question is how much of a real movie is this? And we can answer that question on the back end. You don't have to do it now, Chad. There there are miles and miles to go before we sleep. <laughs> and it is littered with bad performances and shitty puns and plant people and leech monsters and a little butter chunks that is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Let's do this thing. Yes. So one one of my first notes here is about the production company Lightyear Entertainment. Uh, I want to. I just want to bring this up to correct something that uh, was a fallacy of my own. Because when I initially did my notes, I said Lightyear Entertainment. Never heard of them. Never heard of them. Chad. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> Lightyear Entertainment is responsible for not only uh, the return of Swamp Thing, you might remember Randy and the Mob, or Teenage Dirtbag, or Confessions of a Lonely Wife, or the Keeping the Faith series. That's right, Higher Ground, Looking for Mr. Right, My Baby's Getting Married, and Mama's Got a Boyfriend. Was that all one movie? No, it was not. The sad part of that whole barrage of cinematic garbage is that Return of Swamp Thing is probably the best of all of those. I was using uh, hyperbole there a bit because there is uh, a movie or two mixed in here and there that's actually all right. But, you know, that's not why would you Why would you mention those assholes? Right. Yeah. You know, I'm sure the hippopotamus (laughs) with Matthew Modine. Probably all right. Let me ask you a question for Return of Swamp Thing. Did you watch Swamp Thing before watching Return of Swamp Thing? Oh, for sure. Okay, because I did as well. Yeah, and and that is not a great movie by any stretch, but it's a movie. You know, I will say, though, that watching them back to back, that the second one seems to be having a little more fun, sometimes a little bit too much fun, but I do like how they took a page or two from Creepshow or other comic book adaptations and leaned into that. You know, the way that they used wipes to look like you were turning a comic book page or even the opening of the film as well, which we'll discuss in a moment, but it just seemed like that they were trying to do something that was making a comic book come to life on the screen. The first movie doesn't do that as much. It's more of a straightforward, more of a of a, a watered-down monster movie yeah. um, rather than a comic book adaptation. You know, with this movie, like you said, to almost to its detriment, it gets a little too goofy pretty much right off the bat. Like, So we start in a swamp, and it even begins with Once Upon a Time, like an insert on the screen, and we get a, an ellipses, you know, dot, dot, dot. In a swamp. Somebody once told me the world is gone. (laughs) Yeah, well played. So we got a bunch of uh, hunters out looking for a good time. Uh, No, they're looking for a still. Moonshine. Yeah, moonshine, I presume. Yeah, (laughs) either that or, you know, good old fashioned meth. Um, They just call it a still. And right away, it's just like, oh my God, these aren't real actors. You know? <laughs> no, not at all. They look like they're on their way to a Michael Jeter lookalike contest. And they're all going to win first prize. 
Right, it was like they found their way into the makeup tent that had all the fake mustaches and mutton chops and beards. <laughs> and it, the like the direction was just like, I don't know, whatever you feel like, I guess. And people, Can we carry around some of these randomly assorted guns over here? Sure. I got a shotgun. Hey, I've <laughs> I've got a long rifle. I've got a musket. <laughs> yeah. Who do we work for? The government. <laughs> There's also a question. Why aren't these five idiots in a boat? They're just walking around in waist deep water, splish splosh and looking for moonshiners. Not only are we walking around in the water, getting our, our feet all mucky and gross. Um, we, we've also got a dude along for the ride, just bitching about every little thing like Poindexter with the glasses. It's like, what are we doing out in the swamp guys? Our first hint chad that something might be among them is a little bit of bubbles in the water just a little bloop, bloop. everybody's thinking that's a fart when that happens right i mean you're you're up to your waist and there's a bubble bubble i'm not thinking swamp monster i'm thinking you know you shit your pants it depends on like if i'm watching a monster movie i think well that's a monster if i'm swimming with friends i think oh well somebody floated in shit their their biscuit. Pants. yeah drop some wolf bait <laughs> Speaking of shit in your pants, one of the guys stops to take a piss, and it's here that the mysterious swamp creature pops up and then eats him. And if I'm waist deep in water, I'm I'm just going to piss my pants. I'm not going to stop to properly urinate in the swamp. <laughs> yeah, like that's the best part about being waist deep in water. So just that's... let it go, man. Yeah, <laughs> the water is not going to be substantially cleaner and or dirtier because of the piss you have taken. This creature attacks a second guy, and then the three remaining, I guess, what? What are they, treasury agents or something? Or, or something? Like, it's never clear. It's just, again, who do we work for? The government. It's They're just out there to fuck with us still. And as soon as Randy goes missing, uh, after, after they're like, hey, wasn't he taking a piss? Where'd he go? Immediately, they're like, well, fan out. Let's find him. We'll be a lot safer if we're all alone. You know what? And throw your guns across to the other side of the swamp. That'll distract whatever ate Randy. Also, if we could all cut ourselves and bleed freely into the water. Start screaming and splashing the water. I read somewhere that that frightens away swamp monsters. Denny already looks like a seal. Good job, Denny. <laughs> Take a page out of his book, everyone. Everyone's got a can of Spam in their backpack. Rub it all over your face <laughs> and your armpits. There's a reason we put that otter musk in your molar. Now crunch down. Dip your face into the muck. Scream into the water. Rita Moreno. Rita Moreno. I don't know why it works, but it attracts the monsters. It's something about the way your mouth moves. Rita Moreno. Rita Moreno. <laughs> this creature pops up and its face looks like it has the flaccid snout of an alligator man or something. I think it's supposed to be like a leech human yes. hybrid. This whole movie, you don't know what's going on. Okay. No, no, no. It's just this big monster with a long horse face, but it's definitely not a horse because it's too slimy. There's a lot of question marks. It looks like somebody dug into Richard Scarry's trash can and pulled out one of his throwaway characters and was like, we could do something with this. Or if you were in a uh, an 80s horror movie and the kind of like, horror obsessed nerd friend that can tell you all about the vampires this is the mask that's sitting on his shelf when he's giving you the lowdown 
I thought you were going to say he's a big Richard Scary fan. No. Although he might be. You know, there's nothing scary about Richard Scary. Except what he did to his wife. I don't know. I don't know. That is complete conjecture. <laughs> so yeah. two of these agents take off running. And then this other one, the dipped he's kind of the Thelma of the group. Meaning that he's, I guess, like the kind of smart one. But then he trips and loses his glasses, rendering him completely unable to see. And then he does everything I just said. And these other two idiots run off. And then they're greeted in the swamp by this group of mercenaries. And the main mercenary guy, his name's Mr. Gun. And he has a gun. And he's wearing this sexily unzipped standard henchman jumpsuit just showing off chest hair to die for and he's got this glamorous beret and a black vest and he's just oh he looks great right if memory sir he's got facial hair and he clearly has no formal training for the stage or screen (laughs) oh no it's like he never saw a movie chad doesn't (laughs) understand what any of this is supposed to be riding shotgun next to him is a sexy Pat Benatar impersonator who's also <laughs> an inchwoman. She pulls out a gun and then she kills the other two agents that still have some degree of normal vision. So they're out of the picture. So we just have one guy left. By the way, Leechman is wearing a lab coat, um, which is pretty fun. So while uh, Nerdlinger is hunting for his glasses, like, you know, as you said, Thelma in the swamp. And he finds Leechman instead, uh, of course. And so he's about to get his head sucked clean or something. And then Swamp Thing shows up and there's like a shitty like music sting of, I guess, the Swamp Man theme or Swamp Thing theme <laughs> where you're just like, oh, that's not good. It's like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> right? it's a real Casio sort of affair. He is way buffer and bigger than he was in part one. Oh, yeah. No, part one, he was like a dude. In this, he is some sort of tree monster, (laughs) which is fine with me. And so now these two rubber monsters just wrestle a little while. (laughs) They do. There's some nice old school wrestling moves. You know, he's got him in the Tallahassee takedown. I've not seen this. Oh, the humanity. Swamp Thing ultimately just kind of tosses the leech man into the water and the leech man just swims away. And so Nerdlinger is like, oh, thanks, man. And then Swamp Thing puts his glasses back on and and he's like hey what's your name anyway and then the glasses go on it's like whoa whoa, what (laughs) and swamp thing goes people call me swamp thing and then he like no shit born on the bayou starts playing it's so great it's so awful yeah, no, the devil horns are up. I have, the, the seat belt is clicked in place. I am ready for this movie to happen to me. And uh, and here's, all right, so here's the bummer. This is what this movie should never, ever do, which is to refer to the comic book. Because the comic book, as I mentioned in the introduction, is actually a pretty good and, you know, for comics, an often heady sort of examination of self and personality and stuff. And they use some of the artwork from the comics and, and some of it's pretty good, but it also reminds me like how much worse this is than anything that ever happened in a Swamp Thing comic. Up until you see the comic book. Well, I mean, the opening is terrible, 
But to your point, you know, when you get Credence Clearwater Revival and you're getting a montage of images from the comic books, part of me was like, this might have a chance. This might be really good. Then it's not. It immediately record scratches into the next scene of the movie. It's not even downhill from there. It's just like Wiley e. Coyote pushed off of a cliff and you just poof into the ground and then you just stay there for another hour and 10 minutes. One of my favorite things in the credits, though, aside from the art, which I think is great, is I was keeping an eye out for who did the special effects. And I don't even remember the real name. but it <laughs> Nobody. Was like, yeah, but it was like Bob Shelley's International Special Effects Warehouse or something. It was one of those things like, oh, that doesn't inspire confidence. <laughs> like, I saw those monster suits early on. I was like, oh, those are uh, uh, all right, I guess. Well, um, compared Swamp Thing's costume compared to the first movie is measurably better. They dropped a few nickels on that. I mean, he's got the big veins and the vines and everything, and his face looks better. Like, in the first movie, it really looks like a costume you might be able to buy at a store for, like, you know, maybe 150 bucks. But this one is, you know. But can you believe that this movie costs to make cost substantially more than the original did. And yeah, the suit might look better, but kind of nothing else does. Well, they just blow shit up all the time. <laughs> that's true. And I that's mean, why the movie is wonderful. <laughs> I think 30% of the budget was explosives and pyrotechnics. <laughs> Stunt We're, people. In the next scene, we get to meet Heather Locklear, who's working in a flower shop. Or something. What in the fuck is... <laughs> She comes out and there's this bubbling cauldron of green slime. And she says that she went to a transcendental meditation place in Malibu, Malibu that I'm not aware of. And she proceeds to walk around and water all of her carnations and flowers. And all of the potted plants have bands of paper around them with names on them, like Jimmy and Gertrude. And how is one of them not named Robert? <laughs> how do you mean? was robert plant oh for f yeah all right i can't believe i missed that one <laughs> apparently i should have been writing this script for return to swamp thing the, the moment you see that she has <laughs> named these planets uh, these plants the immediate response from any right-thinking audience member is oh she's a crazy person right or she might be a scientist because we saw the bubbling cauldron and like maybe she's named her experiments but that's not the case this is just a really sad florist shop. And I will one-up you the Robert Plant bit because like, <laughs> like there's a, a poor woman at the cashier who may just be like, well, this is the crazy woman who comes in every afternoon at three o'clock. Who knows? They never really speak. Heather Locklear is talking about how uh, she has all these father issues and, and, and she needs to get a handle on that. She's going to put her employee in charge and all this stuff. They're prominently displayed by the cashier is the book Roots because of plants. Why wouldn't it be Walt Whitman's Leaves of Graphs? That would be much better, in my opinion, than the sprawling story of slavery. Uh, there's also a TJ Hooker reference here. I want to talk about her employee Eunice but, <laughs> yeah go ahead who seems she both nonplussed and and maybe sedated in my opinion this whole moment is a ripoff of Marilyn from Northern Exposure but we'll leave that aside Eunice is a large woman and she's sitting in the back of the store and she's eating Campbell's chicken noodle soup 
out of the can while she's watching a game show on TV. And I couldn't tell whether it was Joker's Wild or Card Sharks, but I think it's one of those two. And I looked at, I paused it and looked really close. And she doesn't say a word to her at all as she babbles on about her stepdad issues and that her mom is dead. And she said she didn't go to the funeral because she wasn't invited. Do you get invited to funerals or do you just go to funerals? Yeah, I've never RSVP'd. You're cordially invited. Uh Uh-huh. What? How do you not? I wasn't invited to my mother's funeral. None of that makes any sense. What it should have been is he never told me my mother died because immediately you're like, oh, well, I guess I have a funeral I need to get to. I don't need anyone to roll out the red carpet for that one. Heather Locklear says she's going to go confront her stepfather and that she wants Eunice to mind the store. And it's like, where is she going and why? And her mom's dead and she can't get a boyfriend. Like None of this makes sense any sense whatsoever. And it's here that you get the TJ hooker joke that Heather Locklear says, leave the TV on for the plants. They love that TJ. What's his name? Because she was on TJ hooker. And you're just like, what, what are we doing here? Yeah. I I don't understand any of this. It's all nonsense. Everything that comes out of her mouth is garbage. And, and she's not a great actress, you know? No, no, she's not. It, so it is bad dialogue delivered poorly. The whole deal is that this is setting up this conflict between her and her father. Uh, stepfather. A, a stepfather after her mother died and that kind of thing. But it's all done as confusingly as possible. Like at no point do they even point out the fact that I guess it's a plant store. I don't know. They're like There are fundamental questions of who, what, where, why, and when in this movie that are never answered, but also, eh, kind of who cares? The movie is clearly not that concerned with being good, so no. my expectations of it are pretty low, and I guess that's <laughs> to its uh, benefit. So we, we leave the, the flower shop to meet the villain of our movie, Louis Jordan, as uh, Anton Arcane, who we last saw getting blown the fuck up in a movie. In the last Swamp Thing or a different movie? No, in the last Swamp Thing. Maybe in the movie he did right before this. I'm not sure. I'm not a, a a Jordanian, as fans are called. How would you describe him to someone who's never seen him or heard him talk? He looks like somebody's grandfather, only French, and and also like he probably cruises dating websites for very young girls. I would not feel comfortable leaving him alone with my niece or my nephew. No. Just no. Like- <laughs> Please come here and sit on my lap. It's like Ricardo Montalban's European cousin. Right. Like if you left him in one of those machines, what makes beef jerky or something? Like he's a, he's been in a tanning machine one too many times as uh, Ricardo. Like Ricardo Montalban from... Uh, Star Trek two got stuck in a dehydrator. Yeah. Uh, so he's got a mansion slash evil lair where a bunch of scientists are working for him, uh, including Ursa from Superman two. Good to see that she's getting some work. Cause I've never seen her in anything else. Yeah. She has like four credits. One of them is Superman. The other one is Superman two. Uh, and then somehow return of the swamp thing slips in. Yeah. yeah and the fourth thing was the door hitting her in the ass on the way out. Right. And I don't think she's terrible. Like, she's the most real actor in any of this. Absolutely. One thing I thought here is, you know, if you've 
if you've got this Louisiana swamp lair and you're working out of your basement making, you know, all kinds of weird potions and whatnot, that's convenient. It's nice to live that close to work, you know? You sleep in, you roll out of bed, you get in the elevator, and there you are. Yeah, and if you're enjoying it, Chad, you never work a day in your life. Nope. Well, he's clearly doing it for the love of the game. I mean, this is a mansion, and somehow he has enough money to reconstruct the molecules in his body because in the first movie, he's turned into what, like a hedgehog monster and blown up. Yeah. And then in this movie, he just comes like doodly dooting in. It doesn't make any, they never explain any of this. They, They actually do kind of. No, they don't. Wait, wait the well, end, just like, I mean, there is a line <laughs> given to one of the characters to try to explain why he's not just a pile of goo somewhere. Yeah, well, if they would have said all the king's horses and all the king's men showed up and then, you know, science, <laughs> like, right, but there he is. There's so much my, of that in this My dear, my dear, that is not how you pit an avocado. Let me show you the proper technique. Ursa is showing off her work in the lab. Featuring a half-man, half-elephant she's been working on. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, no, no, no. What what are we doing with all these mistakes? I know about them all. Even the ones that escape into the swamp. <laughs> you know, like, oh, yeah, Leech Man. Now I know. And you know about that guy? <laughs> right. Yeah, the, the Like, Dr. You know, whatever. What is his name? The Florsheim? Uh, that's not quite right. Anyway. So so there's Dr. Arcane mm-hmm. is our main villain. Dr. Lana is, is Ursa. Is Ursa from Superman 2. And then our and then the third doctor is Dr. Rochelle, who is a balding middle-aged man who <clears throat> is always seen with an inhaler. Yeah. Which you know, not how asthma works, but whatever. They're working on some uh, super fancy reju- rejuvenation formula. I like how in the middle, not in the middle of this movie, at the, at the front end of it, we've just got a hideous cockroach creature of their creation screaming horribly. <laughs> Where they're like, you know, look, I tried to make one out of a cockroach. Look at this little fella. And it's just like, ah! <laughs> it's unnerving. It's a real, like, kill me kind of thing, you know? Which is good, because that's what they do. They take this cockroach mutant, and then they put him in this cylinder, and then they zap him till he's dead with some of those, like, Emperor Palpatine laser blue special effect beams, and then poof, he's gone. To reference another DC movie, it's the chamber that makes Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, (laughs) it is. And... Ursa gives Rochelle some business here where she's like, you know, if you fail again, then you'll be turned into Betty Ford. And he's like, but I stopped the drinking. And <laughs> and she's like, no, I I meant turned into Betty Ford. And he's like, I don't want to be a former alcoholic presidential ex-wife. Or I guess that's the implication. It's so dumb. The next scene we get to meet Sheriff Beaumont, who is who's played by somebody named Ralph Pace, and how this guy didn't sue Dan Whitney for his creation of Larry the Cable Guy is beyond comprehension. Sheriff Beaumont in this movie is one hundred percent Larry the Cable Guy, absent the "get her done" catchphrase. Right, because we got to slip in a little more sexism. I, I like them in short skirts. Ain't that right, Dr. Weirdo? Could I do a Larry the Cable Guy character just with a different catchphrase and get away with that? 
well, he's coming out here to see what's going on. Get, get it done. Get get her done. Get us done. I would love to see you try in much the same way that I feel like I could be like a Republican right-wing shock jock <laughs> if I put my mind to it. It would be completely disingenuous, but I think I could do it. You look at characters like this because, you know, like Foghorn Leghorn was a ripoff of Kenny Del Mar and the Flintstones was a ripoff of the Honeymooners. Heck, Swamp Thing was a ripoff of Man Thing that Marvel had put out. Everybody's ripping off everybody. So, you know, Dan Whitney, good for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure he went and saw this was like, I've got to make a breakthrough. Bobcat screaming. Howie Mandel's putting a glove on his head. What can I do? God dang. Hey. Dr. Abnett, you just got a cockroach man in there. What you gonna do? I'm the sheriff. You get it done. He starts making jokes about like Ursa getting in his jeans and you're like, hey man, how about you dial it back a little bit? I, I know that this is Louisiana in a fantasy world. Yeah, he's like, you got yourself a real Playboy mansion ain't here. Uh, don't, <laughs> don't you, huh? I won't see the grotto. Mm-hmm. Lightning McQueen, he's my best friend. I told Deputy Jeff we didn't even have to wear pants when we came inside. He said we did. Can I take my pants off or what? <laughs> Dr. Arcane says that Dr. Lana is uh, the leading expert in gene therapy. And Sheriff Beaumont says she can get my genes anytime she wants to. Oh, get her done. That's funny. I don't care who you are. <laughs> I'm the sheriff. <laughs> Yeah, see, I don't care who you are that sells that for me. (laughs) Dr. Lana just rolls her eyes, and you can really see the actress just like, Jesus Christ, I can't believe I'm having to do this for a paycheck. What in the fuck have I done? Like, I was was in Superman. And Superman 2. Uh-huh. And, all right, so we cut the Heather Locklear chatting it up in a cab with uh, an insane driver. Who runs out of breath delivering his lines. And when one take Wynorski at it again, just like, let it go. Are we in Louisiana? You have Heather Locklear, who is at least trying to play a character to a fault. And this guy, who is the most natural actor to the <laughs> tune of not really acting, even trying a little bit. I got a feeling this was this guy's cab. And they were just like, you like, would you like to be in a movie for $21 and 86, 87, 88 cents, sir? That would not surprise me even a little bit. <laughs> this $7 million film has a performance like this. That's <laughs> unbelievable. I want to ask again, are we in Louisiana? Is that where this is taking place? Yes, that's where it's taking place. It was actually shot in Georgia. Okay, but okay. it is it is taking place in Louisiana. So in the continuity of this film, Heather Locklear went to her holistic healer in Malibu, came in and talked to Marilyn from Northern Exposure. She ate soup out of a can uh-huh. and then just went and got on a plane immediately to fly to Louisiana to confront her androgynous stepfather about something vague family stuff with the goal of hmm. Huh? Also, just for those who've never seen this movie, they never explain any of this. <laughs> no. When she gets that, again, what is her ultimate goal? That she just walks out of there more peaceful as a human being because they buried the hatchet? I guess. I don't know. It's not good. I mean, this goes. This is essential filmmaking. It's like your characters have to have some kind of goal and I never know what hers is. Nor the Swamp Thing, uh, other than punching stuff. Because this movie... 
has no regard for uh, continuity altogether. Um, we cut back to Sheriff Beaumont and <laughs> yeah. Dr. Arcane. And here, Dr. Arcane provides a theory as to what may have happened in the swamp because Sheriff Beaumont's there telling him that this uh, guy, our agent Daphne, that he showed up telling this tale of a, a green man from Mars that may have you know shown up and sucked the blood out of his friends. And then Dr. Arcane cleverly concocts a pretty good cover-up story and says to the sheriff, uh, these men lost their way in the swamp and they all died. Except yeah. for Agent Daphne. That's clearly what happened. And then Sheriff Beaumont, he, he's like, yeah, that makes sense. Moon man from Mars sucking out blood. You're right. They probably just got lost. Do you have any booby girls that I could walk around with? Get her done. <laughs> yeah. And, and so he sends uh, Pat Benatar out with the sheriff. And then as soon as the sheriff is like, oh, boobies, and then follows her, you know, stooped over with his tongue hanging out. I, real, real quick, I just wanted to say, see you later, sheriff. It was nice having you in our movie for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Too bad you couldn't make it for the rest of it. Bye. Could you imagine a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern compliment to this film where the Pat Benatar henchmen and this sheriff are just wandering around the mansion, just having their own adventures in parallel with this film. I would much rather see that movie than the rest of the movie we're going to talk through. Well, we get a glimpse of that movie at the yeah. end of this film where it's just the two of them chit-chat and talking about shit, you know? But I want Sheriff Beaumont to be in the mix. Like, like oh, God dang. There's a swamp thing. What are you two doing up here? What's this big lime, lime green turd in the toilet? Oh my gosh, it's got fingers run. <laughs> flush, flush, flush. Oh, save the day. Get me some Drano. Do you think he's a, that's an elected position or was he appointed? <laughs> I think it's a, a rotation basis. <laughs> like everybody in town. <laughs> you know, it's one of those towns that's small enough that like, hey, every month someone else has to be mayor or that kind of shit. It's like a volunteer fire department. Uh huh. <laughs> what am I, sheriff? God dang! Do I get a gun? Don't need one. I got three. I get four. Holy! I tell you what, I load up with some beans. I got all the ammunition I need. Know what I'm saying? G get it going. Vengeance is mine, saith the Beaumont. Abigail Arcane interrupts the fun here. Wait, who is that? That's that's Heather Locklear. I apologize. Oh. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I forgot. I forgot that they don't mention her name. Like, because I I ended up having to look it up because I was like, well, who is this character? And when I realized, like, oh, that's supposed to be Abby Arcane, who, as I you know mentioned uh, again in the intro, was like this very significant character in the comics. And it was like, oh, well, this is not even close. All right, I don't have to care about any of this. She shows up and is just given, you know, like shows up as just a jerk. You know, it, it's not like she comes in with an attitude of gratitude, Chad, looking for a little reconciliation. Nope. She, she just comes in and starts, you know, bitching and moaning about like what happened with her mother. And there there's still things that she doesn't know and stuff like that. And, you know, Louis Jordan is just like, I don't know what you mean. It, it, you, you are welcome here anytime. Meanwhile, it's like leaning over to Ursa. <laughs> To be like, she's got the good genes, right? We want to carve her up, right? Someone to go and get her uh, espresso with a little lemon twist. Do you like it? It's, it's refreshing. <laughs> yeah. You're so beautiful. I love the musculature of your legs. 
Do you have a handsome boyfriend by any chance who you could bring around? I also think there's like seeing Louis Jordan and Heather Locklear like acting against one another is one of the few times in the movie where I feel like the acting is on a level playing field because one of the characters doesn't speak English natively and the other is Neil Jordan. Hey, oh, <laughs> in this scene, uh, Dr. Arcane and uh, Ursa. Uh, decide that they need a blood sample from Heather Locklear because she has good genes like her mother. Don't worry about it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, there's some business with like (laughs) special DNA that they need because of some quality or something. Some some genetic who's a fudge that they're using to goof their way through this movie. At this point, Dr. Rochelle, uh, the bald middle-aged guy with his inhaler, he comes in and he says that they're working on reversing the aging process. And then uh, Dr. Ursa uh, takes Heather Locklear up to a guest room. And then Dr. Arcane says of his stepdaughter, she looks great, which (laughs) gross. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I I think she was looking at me. there, There was a little bit of tension. Did you feel it? Pretty quickly, we realized that Ursa is not only his his head doctor, uh, she is also his lover. And oh, I don't know about that. I think that they sleep together, but that's about all. <laughs> you don't, you don't even think there's dry humping. I think that he looks at her and he's like, "Could you maybe perhaps cut your hair shorter? Shorter still? Shorter still? <laughs> no, no, until it looks like it did in." The good movie. <laughs> Not this one. Also, tell me our bed is a battlefield. Um, up in the guest bedroom, uh, Dr. Ursa and Heather Locklear, they have a little tete-a-tete to show that they don't like each other for now, but that's going to change in about 15 minutes. And then it's nighttime at the mansion, and Dr. Arcane is lording over his house, and he's looking out at this lightning-filled sky. And Dr. Ursa comes in, and she's all decked out for dinner in this sexy black dress. And then arcane's hands are showing a different texture and she says hey we'll find a way to reverse the aging process Mm -hmm. so then chad i here's a quick shot that detours the movie in a way that doesn't make any goddamn sense the lightning flashes on the portrait of louis jordan and several times too many times i would argue as the lightning flashes we see a skull superimposed beneath the the picture of Louis Jordan. And I was mm-hmm. like, is this supposed to be some kind of, you know, like uh Dorian Gray shit or something where the portrait reflects the true self? What is going on? Why are we seeing skulls and paintings? It, was it a gag painting? Yeah, you're way you're reading way too much. I th- I would have gone more with the gag painting cuz it kind of looks like the eyes are deep set as if someone maybe peeking through, like you're going to see them to blink or look around. But you just get the creepy skeleton overlay. It's if for reference, it's lightning strikes on this as much as lightning struck on Victor Frankenstein's portrait in Young Frankenstein. I mean, it goes yeah. on and on forever. <laughs> and, but it's but that's a comedy, and I don't think this is. I, I don't know what this is. I, right. It, at times it's a comedy, and then sometimes it's things blowing up, or sometimes Chad. It's the greatest film ever made. And that time is upon us. Is it where Heather Locklear is asleep in her bed? And then in that scene. <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> because, that, that's not what I mean. 
I'm talking about Uncle Shed's Bayou Jamboree or whatever. <laughs> it's it's Uncle Shed's River Cabin Estates, which it's basically a log cabin trailer park that has no residents except for two children. Yeah. Um. So, oh, Chad, <laughs> I just I don't I yeah I don't even want to talk about this because in the talking about it, it will cheapen it. It is <laughs> all right. So Daryl and Omar are the two kids. Um. Let's just start with Daryl. That's the that's that's the where meeting. we begin because it's a, a little butter chunks is banging on the door of this cabin and just hey let me <laughs> his dialogue sounds like hold on every line of his dialogue sounds like he's pushing out of shit. <laughs> He's just like, let me open up the door. Let me. I gotta get in. Oh, it is so good. Let me and let me say this because I was talking to somebody about this movie the other day, and I mentioned uh, Daniel Emery Taylor, who is the the gentleman who plays Daryl. And what I learned, Chad, is that <laughs> one Daniel Emery Taylor loves to listen to podcasts about the return of Swamp Thing. And, oh my god. And there is a reasonable chance that he will hear this. And let me say, if that is the case, well fucking done. <laughs> and and thank you. Yes, and thank you so much. This performance flies in the face of acting tradition. <laughs> it's bold and it's brave. And <laughs> So Omar won't let Daryl in. He's like, hey, you got to have a password. And he's like, password? I don't know the password. Because everything is just a shriek coming out of his mouth. <laughs> now let's uh, let's also, let's paint this picture a little bit more. <laughs> we're, we're in this swamp log cabin shithole. And it's raining uh-huh. and there's thunder and lightning. And this little... Redheaded butter chunk nine year old is banging on the door of a cabin, and his friend Omar, who is this skinny black kid that might be what twelve, he's he's a few years older than him, right? Seems to be, but who can tell? <laughs> he may just be taller and thinner. He, but he he seems at least a year or two older in my opinion. And then he finally uh, lets Daryl in. Excuse me, Daryl comes barging in. He fats his way in. He just. <laughs> <laughs> And then he falls over a chair, uh, belly first somehow, upside down, and crashes. And then at this point, uh, his buddy Omar dumps out a stash of jerk-off books. Just just stroke magazines. Uh And Daryl, who clearly hasn't hit puberty, is really excited about seeing naked ladies. Oh, yeah. So Daryl talks like Froggy from Little Rascals. Got kicked right in the balls. <laughs> and all he is there to do is drink some Coca-Cola and look at some porn. One of the magazines is called Young and Easy. And it's covered with some sort of, I'm going to guess, like Japanese writing. And then Daryl says, wow, she's a Scorpio. <laughs> I'm an Aries. They get along great. <laughs> Oh, this movie is the best. What is going on here? So while they're just looking at porn together, (laughs) like you do, a bang comes on the door. And they're they're like, oh no, 
it's my, it's your mom and your dad. Hide all the porn and they go about hiding these magazines like under cushions, under the rug, wearing it as a hat. Just, <laughs> it is nonsense. You know, it is like this, all of this is so cartoonish and crazy, except with porn and <laughs> with Young and Easy. And the look on on Little Butterchunk's face when they when they open the door. And it's the leech man. Spoilers. They open the door and it's the leech man. The look on his face. It should be our show art. It should be the t-shirt. It should be the new logo of the show. I want it. It's burned into my brain. It is the funniest thing I have ever seen in my life. It, it's like it's his face withdrawing into his skull somehow. And his neck just revolting. It is unbelievable. They scream. They scream when they see this. Get me out of here! So they take off running, <laughs> and to escape through a window, their plan is to take uh, Omar's dad's bowling ball and then smash out a window, and then very, very slowly escape out. Because remember, Daryl's a fat, chubby kid. They get outside. And then who shows up for no damn good reason at all? Swamp Thing. And he saves them both. He tosses the leech monster around the trailer park, destroying multiple cars that, let's be honest, none of which start and most likely are all on cinder blocks. And this is the question. Like, once they start fighting with just iron bars, I start to ask myself, what is Swamp Thing's superpower again? Is he just big and strong and swampy? I think that's it. I mean, that, again, I don't mean to bring up the comics, Chad. Kind of a different vibe in the comics where there was a lot of, <laughs> yeah, he's one with nature. He could appropriate nature and blah, blah, blah. This, he's just kind of punching stuff. <laughs> uh, I also like the fact that the iron bar that Swamp Thing uses, taken from a swing set, not really looking out for the kids here. He's just, <laughs> I need something to hit this dude with. Well, I think it was probably the closest piece of metal that he could most easily dislodge from its current anchoring because mm-hmm. it just slides right off. <laughs> Sure. Um, <laughs> I don't think that Uncle Shed or whatever is really paying attention to all the screws in the uh, in the kit for the swing set. Oh, he, that he's yeah. not a real person. <laughs> you think it's just Daryl running the joint? I think it's like Ronald McDonald. I think it's a a fictitious figurehead that they put on the 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 sign out front to make people feel welcome and that they're cared for. We don't need to put the bolts in. As they're fighting, the leech monster hits a propane tank with this metal tube, which sets off a chain reaction of explosions from the propane tank to multiple cars that each one blows up the car next to it, which ends up blowing up a log cabin next to that. And it's it's truly the kind of thing that you only see in Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> yeah, and in 80s films, because this would all be digital at this point. <laughs> Nobody would be like... We're going to blow up first this propane tank, this car, this car, then that car is going to go up. It's it's all too much, but it's wonderful. And <laughs> and then as the leech man runs burning into the water, they they yeah. they give Swamp Thing a thumbs up. Mm-hmm. And once again, it's like Daryl has never seen this done before. Where it's just all, it is the most broke ass thumbs up you ever saw. <laughs> In a movie or otherwise. 
And it was the perfect capper to this scene where, like, I I had to pause the movie when we <laughs> left this scene to be like, I don't know what I have just <laughs> seen, but it changed me. The greatest thing is that once they've introduced these two characters, <laughs> you really think that they're going to be instrumental to the film's plot. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not. Uh-uh. And the kicker is that as soon as you completely forget about them, they show back up. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the best. It's so, <laughs> it's so strange. And then just to really, to, to, to circle back around, they do the exact same thing at the very end of the movie. It's just the, it's just the best. They're so off. This kid's Daryl's performance is one of, I think you're right. I think it is one of the greatest performances and at the same time, one of the worst things you will ever see in a film. Yeah. It's it's not, it's something that should never be missed. I can't recommend this movie enough. It is, <laughs> it's so great and it's so awful. It is what scientists refer to, Chad, as bananas. Uh, <laughs> and so the next scene is Louis Jordan reading about the explosion at Uncle Shed's trailer festival. In the paper, there's a front page, <laughs> and the picture with the two kids on it. It kind of looks like the the photo from Ron Howard's The Paper. You know, like someone dropped a camera on the ground and snapped a picture of these two morons freaking out, trying to come up with their own version of thumbs up that would be cooler than the one that everyone else in the world uses. I like the fact that Uncle Sheds is referred to as a resort in this article. <laughs> Which I think is good PR. Like, I don't know who's working at Uncle Shed's, but that is good buzz. Dr. Arcane tells Mr. Gunn and Pat Benatar, go and find Swamp Thing and bring him here. Swamp Thing is made of swamp. He is literally walking camouflage. Uh-huh. Like, where are they going to go find him? That doesn't make any sense. But... <laughs> Nonetheless, Chad, this is a great <laughs> excuse to whip out all the four-wheelers and fan boats. Let's have helicopters drop explosives in the water. <laughs> it's a more armed version of the scene in Jaws where they put the bounty on the shark, you know? Like, you're, I, I was expecting somebody to be like, we're going after the swamp thing. A what? It is- you, get jet, you get jet skis whipping around in the swamp. There are airboats flying around in the swamp. There's some pretty sweet jumps. They're flying over the wake. Yeah. And then nothing comes of this. It just stops. It's just like uh, all the buddies on the screen, Chad, all $7 million. It's all in explosions and jet skis. It doesn't mean nothing, but it's there. 80% of this movie was like directed by the second unit. (laughs) Right. Well, you got to keep out of the hands of Jim Wynorski. (laughs) You're lucky you didn't have jiggling tits all through this thing and it's and look if you have young ones there aren't any jiggling tits that belong to a female daryl's got a nice pair but for the most part this is a pretty pg film um overall it's not too violent and it 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 plays it pretty safe um we come back to the mansion and heather locklear is coming down the steps ready for prom in a blue dress and a, a pink waist belt with a giant flower bow and Dr. Arcane meets Heather Locklear at the bottom of the stairs and he escorts her to dinner. And my question here is, this is the next day, right? Because we saw her the first day and then she was asleep. <laughs> then this is the next. Wait, what was she doing all day? Movie and stuff. Just watering plants. <laughs> right. You know, it's <laughs> like if you start doing that, that math in your head of like, well, all right. So it is 
we saw her asleep the night before and this is the next night, then according to the movie logic, she didn't ever talk to her father because now is the point she's going to do that. So she, she just sat staring blankly at a wall, you know, from <laughs> sun up till sun at, sundown, one presumes. But, uh, but yeah, so we... We get the escort to dinner, but they're interrupted by Gunn and Pat Benatar. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, go on with that to me. I need to talk to my underlings. And, you know, the, Abigail's mission, as we've discussed in this movie, theoretically, is that she has come to resolve shit with her father. Uh, it turns out they've been apart for uh, 10 years. Uh, and Jordan is like, I know we have had our differences, but I want to be friends now. And so he's he's like, oh, why, why didn't you invite me to my mother's funeral? <laughs> she she did not want to have one. Also, it is not how it works. Uh, you can just come to the funeral. Your mother died. She went into the swamp, uh, got lost, and she died. That is how everyone dies here. <laughs> By the way, I am the coroner and medical examiner uh, this week. I uh, volunteer. It's the least I can do to give back to the community. Also to investigate and uh, cover up several crimes. Oh, oh, I'm kidding, of course. He sends Ursa, his flunky, off. He's like, I have something for you. And I don't know how our Louis Jordan continues to become more Dracula <laughs> as we go through the show. Ursa goes uh, all for a box and she returns with it, which is this ring. And he's like, it, it was your mother's. And uh, she would want it on your finger. And she puts it on, and sure enough, it, it like stings her. She's like, ow! Which is probably a better line read. <laughs> Stupid ring! Throws it. Which, I want to note here a couple things. Behind our villain is a wall of security monitors. And a lot of switches and bebops and doodads that look pretty menacing. Okay. So that should be noted. The other thing that is behind him is a talking parrot that you think is going to be important <laughs> later in the movie. Like maybe it'll hear something and give a clue or, you know what I mean? Like, like serve as a, a conveyor of information for those that were not around. It's not, it, it, it serves no purpose whatsoever. Yeah. It, nothing comes of anything in this movie. Uh, so after the, the ring steals her blood, She's like, I'm going to get some air. And she just wanders off into the swamp. Yeah. And like Gunn and Pat Benatar are outside just watching her wander into the swamp. And and she pauses it because Gunn's like, hey, foxy lady. Uh, giving her one of those routines. And then Gunn says, like mother, like daughter. Right. Starts implying that he knows some business about her. <laughs> yeah. Gunn says, what do you want to know about your mom? And she's like, nothing. I'm going to go walk around in the swamp in my prom dress. She does, and Louis Jordan is like sees Gunn and Pat Benatar, and is like, "Where is my daughter?" And they're like, "Oh, she wandered into the swamp, man." And at night, yeah, at night by herself. And he's like, "Do you think that was a good idea?" And they're like, "Ah, oh, we really didn't think about it at all. I guess she just <laughs> seemed to have her heart set on it." Well, would you go get her, please? I'm not. I'm not going out there. <laughs> it's night. That's a swamp. What are you, an idiot? Yeah. You know what kind of gator monsters we've been letting go out there? Now, during the day, they just tan under the sun. That's when I go out there. But, yeah, so he sends them off to find uh, Abby or Heather Locklear. And then 
we cut to the still that they were searching for at the beginning of the movie. I didn't even connect those dots. I just thought this was a couple of drunk hillbillies. Well, it's but that you're right. Too. There's a there's a still. I I didn't even think about <laughs> any of this coming together. This movie's playing chess, not checkers, Chad. <laughs> These two hillbillies look like they're out of a bad car dealership TV commercial. Yeah. You know, they're 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 not even legitimate white trash real hillbillies. They're like wannabe actors pretending to be hillbillies. Right. It's like there were no lines right now. It's just like just be rednecks. They're like, I was running over dogs. Let's blow some shit up. They these two start arguing about what they should do now that they're all liquored up, and then one guy says he wants to go. He's like, "I want, I want to go kill something," and then the other guy says he wants to go town and get a woman. And I'm guessing that that's in reference to abducting a woman and not consensual sex. Well, not consensual, Chad, because <laughs> he actually says, "I ain't even seen a sheep lately." And it is hard to argue that sheep sex is consensual. <laughs> Maybe they're talking about a prostitute or a prostitute sheep. Mm. Gene Wilder had sex with a prostitute sheep in Woody Allen's Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Sex But Was Afraid to Ask. Well, you know what? Maybe that sheep wasn't a prostitute. It might have just been his sheep mistress. That's a much better movie than this. Yeah. So I think I she was just easy. Heather Locklear comes out of the swamp and she's asking for directions. And these... Two hillbilly drunks are all horned up, and they proceed to begin rape proper. Yeah, like um, comically raping her? Question mark? Because it's all played for like, oh, come on, get her! And <laughs> it's it's like, oh my god, this is about to turn into the accused in the swamp. <laughs> but Swamp Thing shows up, as he is, has a tendency to do at the <laughs> right moment. <laughs> <laughs> and he takes care of business by using his superpowers of just punching people. <laughs> right. Yeah, tosses them around, wrestles some, you know, swamp thing. These two just sort of scamper off to go slowly die of self-inflicted alcohol poisoning out in the middle of the swamp water. Well, and so then Swamp Thing uh, tells uh, Heather Locklear his origin story, like basically the first movie. He's like, here's what happened last week on swamp thing and she's like i gotta find out what happened to my mother and he's like well if you need me i'll be close by i like the way swamp things talks swamp thing sounds like an old school television or radio news announcer i'm swamp thing yeah here are the headlines today in the news two hillbillies tried to rape heather locklear fortunately the rape was broken up by me, Swamp Thing. Thank you for watching Swamp News. All Swamp Thing, all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's. I like him running his own Swamp TV station. You know, he's got time on his hands. Like, he can't be fighting leechmen all the time. Henchmen show up. Swamp Thing is about to head off in his heroic exit. And <laughs> you mean lumbering away? Yeah, just walking off the set. <laughs> like this ship? All right. Uh, Pat Benatar shows up and puts a knife to uh, Heather Locklear's throat. And immediately Swamp Thing just runs away. It's just like, fuck this noise. I can't save her if I'm dead. I must first save Swamp Thing. Then I will come and save Heather Locklear. I'm Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing looks out for numero uno. 
I'll see you on the flip side. The henchmen run after Swamp Thing, and they run after him for a very long time. Like, they run a couple of hundred yards. Yeah. It's really drawn out. And then Swamp Thing jumps into the swamp because he's Swamp Thing. And then they fill the swamp full of uh, bullets, and they launch grenades at him. And then one of them hits Swamp Thing and blows Swamp Thing to <laughs> tiny pieces, yeah. which you as the audience think, did he just get blown up? Uh, is Swamp Thing dead? Because we've got about 35 to 40 minutes left of this train wreck. I mean, he can't be dead, right? But they just blew him to smithereens. Yeah, but deservedly so. I want to emphasize the point. When faced with danger, he just <laughs> bolts. I see you have my would-be girlfriend by the throat. Peace. I just met her. <laughs> We're acquaintances at best. I was just wandering by. And heard her scream for help, which I helped her. My work here is done. I'm Swamp Thing. <laughs> we cut back to the basement of the uh, the arcade mansion, and Pat bon- and Pat Benatar drags in Heather Locklear to see her stepdad and uh, Doctor Rochelle, the guy with the inhaler. And he says that Dr. Ursa found Dr. Arcane when he was almost dead at the end of the first movie, and really fixed him up using. Science? Is that what happened there? Yeah, of like... The, Maybe some math? The bio-restorative floor, uh, formula from the first one or something, and he's like... Vaseline. We need Swamp Thing's tissue to science this back together, and... Vitamin vitamin C. Some good old-fashioned Neosporin. Just Necurochrome. <laughs> it's just some Tussin. Witch Hazel. St. <laughs> John's Wart. Which is actually 40% of Swamp Thing. That's why he's so mellow. <laughs> they say that Dr. Arcane's body will deteriorate if they don't have a piece of Swamp Thing to help them with their, I, I guess, science. I don't know. That's right, Chad. Heather Locklear wants to know how her mom fits into all of this. Who? Okay. Um, it turns out <laughs> yeah. that the mom worked with the doctors and had perfect genetic code. We don't know what happened to her yet. And Dr. Arcane tells Mr. Gunn to go take care of Heather Locklear. We don't ever find out really what happened to the mom. I guess we find out she's di- who, who is responsible for her death, but they don't really explain that. Why would they? They don't explain anything else. No, no, no. The, the script is only so concerned with logic. After Abigail gets imprisoned in the lab, Ursa and Neil... Who? Wait, who? Oh, I'm sorry. Heather Locklear. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so after after they settle her into her lab in, in prison, Ursa and Neil Jordan are in bed. 100% not having sex. Right. You know, you can touch it, but don't stroke. Just rest it gently on bed. It feels nice. Dr. Rochelle and his inhaler show up to interrupt them not having sex. Dr. Rochelle says that he needs to speak with Dr. Arcane in private. Dr. Ursa objects to this private conversation, but Dr. Arcane tells her to go take a bath. <laughs> yeah. Again, we've not seen this move since neighbor Ted pulled it on Christmas Eve and jingle all the way. And as you pointed out in that episode, it's creepy. Mm-hmm. You just go take a bath. Why don't you get naked and wet at the drop of a hat? You have what is the word I'm looking for? An odor. As we say in French, stinky, stinky, pew, pew. And when I smell something bad, I look at you. 
No, skedaddle. Back in the swamp, we see a big chunk of swamp thing floating in the sewer pipes that lead into Arcane Mansion. It's <laughs> like, oh, whatever, okay. Yeah, all right, well, we gotta get more swamp thing in here some way. So how about just green shit floating back up the sewer? Dr. Rochelle and his inhaler tell Dr. Arcane that he's got some science that'll fix Dr. Arcane up for good, but Dr. Rochelle and his inhaler need blood from one of two donors and that the process is going to kill the donors. One of the donors is a random henchman, so just go get him, but the other donor is Dr. Ursa uh, with whom Dr. Arcane is not having sex. Yeah. So we got, you know, we got troubles, Bob. Not really, because he's pretty quick to say, like, well, sometimes you have to do what you have to do, you know? <laughs> Take your inhaler and, you know, make science happen. What do I pay you for? I do pay you, right? I mean, you invest with your work into the biorestorative formula, so I don't want to keep having the same conversation all the time. <laughs> all right? We all work for a common goal here. And your job now is to kill my concubine. Who, by the way, is standing right on the other side of the door with a glass stuck to it, listening, taking notes with her other hand. <laughs> she's, she's fully in on everything that's happening. Right. And then we get a, a quick cutaway to Gunn flirting with Abigail uh, down in the prison. And by flirting, Is that the I word mean, you would use for it? <laughs> grossly talking about like her cans and ass and... He asks her, he's like, you want to you get out for a while? And it's a real, I think he's coming on to you. And so she says no. And Gunn gets immediately violent and just starts banging the bars with his, his gun because he's called Gunn. Uh -huh. And then Heather Locklear, she sees her opportunity, you know, like, hey, I might be able to escape. So again, because this movie's editing is all over the place, we cut back up to Dr. Ursula and she's getting ready to take the recommended bath and she's wearing a towel. And then uh, she's staring at herself in the mirror as the water is pouring into the tub. And then the water slowly turns green. Then it turns to dark green sludge. And by the end of it, it ends up just looking like a three foot long twisted emerald turd in the bathtub. <laughs> yeah. You know, some million dollars, Chad. That's what it gets you. Uh, is a big, a big green poo. It's gross. And and then for no good reason, speaking of bad editing and shit happening for no reason, we have Neil Jordan just playing a spooky organ song for no good reason here. He's a real dandy in this movie. You know, I sensed a little tension in the air. I thought I would play some music to match the mood. Alouette, jante alouette. Sing with me, everyone. Yeah. La <laughs> then we cut back from that back to gun teasing abigail with a rubber fish thing it's a mutant fish he's showing her on the lab i mean he's giving her the cook's tour and he then just drops his utility belt and he says i'm going to show you something really big so once again heather locklear finds herself on the business end of an impending rape twice in one night so far <laughs> who knows what else is going to happen later on in the evening I would only put an asterisk on there to say comical rape. So it's like Pepe Le Pew. Right. Yeah. It's a lot of no matter where you go, I will find you. It's not <laughs> creepy. I promise. So Heather Locklear kicks Mr. Gunn in the dick and then she runs off. Good for her. Uh, Mr. Gunn gets up and screams, I'm going to kill you, which Pepe Le Pew never 
said that. <laughs> That's where you have you need to scratch out the asterisk. They don't <laughs> comical, right? They don't show those anymore. Those episodes <laughs> with Pepe Le Pew, like if you tell anyone about this, I will kill you and your family. Heather Locklear escapes in an elevator after giving Mr. Gunn a good headbutt. Again, yet another wrestling move for Saturday afternoon wrestling fans. Oh, that hurts my parts. Oh, I like that. Look at her. <laughs> she gave him a headbutt. I wonder if she can give a head job. <laughs> Get her done. They, um, is that what they call him, a head job? That, that's what he calls oh, it. Oh, okay. He's only sheriff for one more day. Um, <laughs> on her way up the elevator, uh, she the doors ding open, and Dr. Ursula's there. And the two of them share a glance, and enemies have become friends. Friends have become enemies. Dr. Ursula gives Heather Locklear keys to a car that's parked right outside. Run. Run for your life, you know. You're right. You've escaped two rapes. Let's not make it three. Yeah, the keys. I know I have to die. I mean, go on without me, I suppose. And yeah, it's just like, all right, fine, whatever. I'm not paying attention to story anymore. It's been a while since something blew up or or Daryl entered the picture. So I'm starting to <laughs> return a Swamp Thing. And then but- Swamp Thing forms up in the tub, uh, which piques my interest because I'm like, oh, the the giant green turd became Swamp Thing again. All right, uh, uh, right. We, look, we just got to get through a couple of dumb things, and then we're back in business. So the the henchmen uh, catch Abigail as she's trying to uh, leave the compound, and a bunch of Venture Brothers villains pop out um, with guns and uniforms and the whole deal. And Swamp Thing, when she gets caught, he he beats up the henchmen. And they tumble down the stairs, and it sounds like when the Three Stooges used to fall downstairs. Do you remember? It's like... It goes on way too long. And then my maybe fourth favorite thing in this movie happens, which is where Swamp Thing is just like, hey, you got the keys? Swamp Thing is ready to drive us out of here. Don't worry. (laughs) I can drive a stick. I'm Swamp Thing. (laughs) <laughs> be sure to secure your seatbelt. And yeah, and Swamp Thing just puts the keys in the ignition, drives away like a good good old-fashioned superhero, driving the chain yeah, away. And Heather Locklear is riding shotgun, shooting, well, a shotgun, and explosions are blowing up everywhere. If you need a point of reference, think if you're really sophisticated, Apocalypse Now if you're really, really sophisticated, end of Roadhouse. Or if you're like me, Invasion USA. Or if you're really lowbrow, the the finale of Caddyshack. I mean, <laughs> yeah. the front lawn of this thing is just exploding left and right. Look, it's all mayhem. There's an all-girls henchman squad for no good reason. <laughs> There's... <laughs> there's some there, fembots running around yeah there's swamp thing is just playing getaway driver to heather locklear's mass murder happening in the back of this jeep it's wonderful Th- then like on the balcony or widow's walk or whatever you know neil jordan is like damn you swamp thing oh wait he has left behind some goop and sure enough there is swamp thing goop uh in the jordan mansion so that uh, he now has what he needs, theoretically, to, I guess, make his formula as Swamp Thing and Heather Locklear just drive away from the movie. <laughs> We're good to go. And since that storyline is wrapped up, let's go explore a brand new storyline. Oh, man. 
Omar, where are we going and what are we doing here? I'm hungry. We've gone four and a half feet. I need a ho-ho. My shoes are on the wrong feet again. <laughs> this little fat kid, Daryl, and his friend Omar have come up with this grand idea that they're going to take Daryl's dad's camera and get a picture of Swamp Thing that they're going to sell for money. I- I guess. And look, man, you know that that roll of film in this camera has a lot of seedy photographs of the residents of Uncle Shed's River Cabin Estates. Just like through the window, across the, let's call it, parking lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the common area slash parking lot where birthdays are celebrated along with most births. (laughs) We come back to the swamp. And Heather Locklear and Swamp Thing have a romantic moment as he is surrounded her with flowers at his home or something. And Heather Locklear says that Swamp Thing, you're now my boyfriend. Right. And he, but he immediately gets weird about it, like, I didn't mean to imply I was. I mean, I didn't know that's where we were. I I guess this is something we should talk about now. Um, I'll be back. I'm going to go talk to my friend. A possum on the edge of the swamp. (laughs) Heather Locklear looks at Swamp Thing and says, I see the soul of a beautiful human being as well as the accomplice to multiple, multiple murders. And at this point, Swamp Thing breaks off a piece of his body that I thought was going to be his dick because it's big and long and cylindrical like a huge pickle. Uh huh. And I was like, where are we going with this Swamp Thing? And then he eats some of it. And I was like, did you just put your own dick in your mouth? And then he gives some to her and she eats some of it. And I was like, did you just put your swamp dick in her mouth? Then the camera goes upward to the towards the sky and then pans back down. But now Swamp Thing is Alex, his former human self with normal skin. And then... Except not realize. Al- no. And um, the two of them start having sex standing up. Well, it's like it's like PG rated sex. There's a lot of kissing and soft clothes and romantic music. And it's it's terribly confusing. Yeah, it's it's what you call uh, a Grateful Dead inspired fuck trip. And and yeah, they just kind of rub against each other in a, a sea of psychedelia. And then when they s- snap out of it and she's like with gross old swamp thing again, she's like, was that real? And he says, it was as real as you want it to be. So, no. This is the same move that Stroker Ace pulled with Lonnie Anderson. Uh-huh. Uh, like, yeah, let's just get you all whacked out. Like, that was the secret that he learned from her run-ins with Gun and the two hillbillies. Like, no, 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 just get her fucked up first. Then she didn't put up as much of a struggle. Swamp Thing, you're gross. Speaking of Mr. Gun. Uh, Mr. Gunn and Pat Benatar show up to tell Dr. Arcane, hey, uh, we can't find Heather Locklear or Swamp Thing because, you know, he lives in a huge swamp and he is Swamp Thing. Right. And Neil Neil Jordan's response is, well, go look some more. Like, this movie doesn't know what the fuck to do with any of these characters. So just, you came back from looking? Have you tried looking some more? They're like, all right, I guess we'll go look some more. Dr. Arcane is talking to his parrot during this scene. 
uh, because he's a crazy person. Uh-huh. And I just want to ask you, who owns birds as pets? Uh, you know, I always assumed you had to be in a tropical climb for that to make sense, where there are just so many of them around. It's like, yeah, one of them, I can't get this one out of a cage, you know? But, but as far as like actual people, if someone owns a bird, I'm like, yeah, what is the point of that? That seems me- like the worst pet in the world. Let me. All right. So let, let, then let, let's do this. Better, better or worse pet than a parrot? Okay, like a lion or a parrot. Mm, it's you, you got to have one. It, uh, I would take a parrot just because I'm less likely to be in a survival scenario with a parrot. So how about a bear or a parrot? I mean, what kind of bear? Just you, a bear or a parrot? You can pick. You got to have one. Oh, any any old bear. Yeah, oh. well, not Winnie the Pooh, or well, no, I mean whatever. a real bear, but like you yeah. could get one of them, uh, one of them nice bears that don't eat people, not the grizzly kind. What about a wolf? A wolf or a parrot? I would probably go wolf over parrot. Skunk or parrot? Uh, can I get the the stink glands removed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. It's your pet. <laughs> All right, then yeah, it's skunk. Raccoon? Oh, for, God, yeah, they're like little thieves. They're adorable. <laughs> um. <laughs> parrot over alligator ferret oh ferret over parrot that's that was also one of my bands poisonous snake Uh, all right parrot over poisonous snake and it like killing me is the cutoff how about a a large non-poisonous snake oh yeah i I would go snake over parrot tarantula uh yes over parrot sure rabbit yes rabbits Mm, because then that means you have a lot of rabbits i might go parrot over multiple rabbits ants well, ants aren't pets. That's a pest. A parrot. How about a, a parrot rat? over an infestation of ants? Yes. How about a rat? Uh, I take a rat over a, a parrot. Guinea pig. Yeah, sure. A rat same and guinea pig, ha- same thing. Same for a hamster. Yeah, sure. Any any small rodent over a parrot? Yes. H- horse. Uh, no. Horse is way too much trouble. Snails. Uh, yes. Fox. Yes. Chinchilla. Yes. Armadillo. Yes. Scorpion. No. Goldfish. Yes. Turtles? Yes. Iguana? Yes. Sea monkeys? Yes. Regular monkey? Yes. Very good. You passed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, well, what do I get? Just love and admiration. Oh, all right. Well, more than you get from a damn bird. Oh, yeah. No, parrots are... It's like when people have, like, I have five cockatiels in this 12-foot high cage. It's like, what the fuck is the point of any of this? All you're doing is torturing these poor animals. I moved furniture for a short time in one of my many jobs that I've had. I moved furniture into a house one time. I walked in and there were about 10 very large bird cages in a two-story uh, townhouse. And all of the bird cages had multiple cats in them. Oh, <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. Only cats it or was, also birds? No, just cats. They were using large bird cages to put cats in them. I don't know if they were sending a message to the cats or what the hell was going on. I would it imagine was, these people were part bird. The hunter has become the hunted. <laughs> Perhaps you remember my grandfather, Twinkles, (laughs) hoisted on your own baton, cat. So we come back down into the science lab, and uh, the henchmen, they got beat up and tumbled down the stairs like Larry and Curly. Well, they're going to be used for mutant experiments. And Dr. Rochelle and his inhaler, they're reading that Asian porno mag, Young and Easy, that we saw earlier with Daryl and Omar. And then uh, Dr. Rochelle says... Mmm, she'd look great with fins and flippers. You know who I think saw this movie? Every furry? Guillermo del Toro. Oh, sure. Yeah. 
I like the fact that we get an instant peek into the psychology of this dude. I was just like, okay, not regularly having sex has started to get into some deviant stuff. The internet was not kind to him. Dr. Ursa comes in and she busts Dr. Rochelle and his inhaler reading uh, this pornography. And Dr. Rochelle and his inhaler, they spout off a bunch of nonsense about what he's going to do to these two henchmen. And then um, he gets injected with some serum by Dr. Ursa. And then she locks him and his inhaler in this, I don't know, giant like cage or box or something um, because he was going to kill her. So take that. She got you first. Gave him the old um, dipsy doodle with a super fast mutator. Back in the swamp, Omar and uh, Butterchunks Daryl are just tromping around. And they have this camera and Daryl has a baseball bat for protection. <laughs> <laughs> and then o- o- Omar calls out Daryl for being a fat, lazy turd. I gotta stop. I gotta see. Dang you. I've got six toes on one foot. My shoes don't fit right. They're on the wrong feet again somehow. Oh, man. He does an oops in this scene. Oops. It's just the stuff of beauty. You know, like I've never seen the birth of my own child, but I expect that it's similar to how I felt when I heard that oops. Oops. You know the oops that he gives? It wasn't in the script. He just fell over. He's just walking through the woods and trips, and they just left it in there. They didn't edit it out. Uh It's like he finished his, let's call it, dialogue, and he's just, oops. Oops. Oh, man. It's like it squeaks out of him. It's so good. Oh, man. I I swear to God, it it is the happiest I've been watching one of these movies ever for this show. So... So they sally forth to go get their picture of Swamp Thing. Speaking of which, Swamp Thing gives Heather Locklear a tour of the swamp. This is my mucky water. This is my tree. You might like the moss on it. Here's a rock. That's an alligator I call Steve. He says, once this was a plantation run by slaves and their unhappy ghosts still haunt this land. And then Heather Locklear says, I can't imagine anyone being unhappy here. <laughs> Did you not hear what I just said? It was run by slaves, and their unhappy ghosts haunt this land, shrieking in pain as every day of their waking lives were filled with misery. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever read the book Roots by Alex Haley? Eunice always wanted me to try it, but it looks so big, and I don't like it when plants are turned into pages. (laughs) Hmm. It was a very popular miniseries. You never even watched that. Our TV only gets game shows. And our kitchen only has cans of soup. So weird. (laughs) Well, I should get back to Swamp Stuff. (laughs) Yeah, Swamp Thing says, I always thought I'd be unhappy here, but then I had sex with you, Heather Locklear. I'm Swamp Thing. You know, Tommy Lee had sex with Heather Locklear. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what? And, And then Tommy Lee had sex with Pamela Anderson on a, very famously, on a boat. And then Pamela Anderson has hepatitis C. And you know who died from hepatitis C? Lou Reed. Uh, Tommy Lee? No, Lou Reed died of hepatitis C. Oh, did he really? What are we talking about? I don't know. Oh. Oh, wait. Hey, guess <laughs> guess who shows back up in this movie? I don't know. <laughs> so, oops. it turns out Omar is like, hey, I'm hungry. And <laughs> Daryl is like, 
All the food fell in my hand. <laughs> and then it fell in my mouth and down my throat. I've eaten everything. And Omar's like, did you eat all the Twinkies? Yeah. Ho-hos? Uh-huh. Ding-dongs? You know it. Scooters? Yep. Dipsy doodles? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Snowballs? You got it. He's like, well, what do we have left? We got a couple of apples. Which, who packed apples? It sure as hell wasn't Daryl. <laughs> Unless they were going to be weapons. It was Daryl, like, you know, being optimist. This is the day. I'm going to finish off all these partially healthy snacks. And then I'm going to switch to the totally healthy ones. <laughs> I love that kid so much. Gun uh, and his pals get the drop on our heroes. What's their end game? <laughs> they grab these two kids. Are they going to kill them? Or, yeah. Or just I suppose use them as bait for Swamp Thing because he loves the taste of fat flesh or something. And when they grab them, Daryl gives us a good... Egg. It's It's all wonderful. So Swamp Thing is giving Abby some flowers when his Swamp Thing <laughs> senses tingle. And it, not really. It's just he hears Daryl going, help! <laughs> and Swamp Thing tells Abby to stay out of the movie for a second. So he runs to the location where they, you know, they've gotten the drop on our, our kids. And Swamp Thing just grabs a bat to take everybody out. Again, being the superhero at the heart of this film <laughs> by just conking people in the noggin with a baseball bat. Mm-hmm. And then we hear Daryl say... Maybe what should have been the tagline of this movie, and it should have been in the trailer, but it's Daryl screaming, Swamp Thing's kicking some butt! (laughs) As we've discussed this, Daryl would be as though Nick Nolte did the voice for Charlie Brown. (laughs) Yeah. The the dialogue is so stilted and just, it's so amazing. You just if you've never seen this movie, spend a couple of bucks and get a digital copy and watch it. You you won't be disappointed. Man, it's good. So after Swamp Thing has has cleared the playing field, um, it's time to with a base with a baseball bat with a baseball bat enthusiasm. <laughs> I'm Swamp Thing. What when you stand in the swamp at the plate? What is that a time for? Individual accomplishment. I'm Swamp Thing. <laughs> Well, Omar asks, he says, hey, can we get a picture of you, Swamp Thing? And Swamp Thing says, only if Daryl gets in the picture with me. Thumbs up, right? Close enough, (laughs) Daryl. Waddle on over here, buddy. And they they pose for a picture. And before they can snap the picture, we hear Heather Locklear screaming. uh, So something's up. Right. But but before they take the picture implies that it's interrupted somehow. There is a solid like 10 seconds of them just standing there. Like a couple of dopes with the thumbs up. It's just that Omar doesn't get his shit together. <laughs> yeah, he didn't forget to take the lens off the camera, and he didn't know how anything worked. And, but yeah, so, you know, Swamp Thing hears Heather Locklear screaming, and he's like, boy, this sure is one busy day. People <laughs> screaming hither and yon in the Swamp Thing. <laughs> this sounds like a job for Swamp Thing. I am Swamp Thing. he runs over to see heather locklear being abducted by henchmen and she screams and she's put onto a is it a swamp boat and is driven off by pat benatar and dr arcane and a couple other random henchmen that haven't been killed 
in the explosions. And uh, we come back to Arcane Mansion and the henchmen are just running around in the front yard and they look like the cadets like from Spies Like Us. They're all doing this hop, 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 you know, <laughs> their exercises. Right. And then uh, Dr. Ursa tells Dr. Arcane that they will receive uh, their guest with customary hospitality. So I guess they're anticipating Swamp Thing may show up and that's why we have the added uh, security out front. You know, in preparations for Swamp Thing's arrival, and then Ursa uh, fucks off, and Neil Jordan tells Gunn and uh, Pat Benatar to find Rochelle, the the now missing bald scientist with uh, bad lungs, and yeah, his inhaler. Yeah. Uh, so then we cut to a scene that seems to be apropos of nothing, where. Uh, Pat Benatar is just giving gun shit about being a lousy head of security of like, Hey, everything that has gone wrong is ultimately all your fault. And I'm kind of surrounded by idiots is, uh, is her take on the situation. Yeah. And then they start swapping stories and showing each other scars on their body. A la jaws. (laughs) Yeah. How dare you return of swamp thing? I mean, but, but I will say to the movies credit and shame is the the finale of this is that Pat Benatar shows off some pretty amazing teeth mark scars on her right breast from a Motley Crue tour in 1988. So it's 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 really a goofy twist. And knowing that Tommy Lee was the lead singer for Motley Crue, and that you know Tommy Lee was married to Heather Locklear, it all kind of ties in. And then Tommy Lee. He had sex with Pamela Anderson mm-hmm. on a boat one time in a pretty famous movie mm-hmm. that they that was released. And then Pamela Anderson, she has hepatitis C. And do you like Velvet Underground? I <laughs> I used to before Lou Reed died. I learned recently of hepatitis. Lou Reed is dead. Ooh. Oh my god! I wasn't even invited to the funeral. So, uh, Ursa. <laughs> Uh, is chit-chatting with Abby, who is strapped to a science machine. <laughs> and Abby, Heather Locklear is like, hey, can you get me off of, of the science machine? And uh, Ursa's like, I can't help you, Abby. I'm sorry. And Neil Jordan comes to a uh, party, uh, and he's like, so I'm going to fuse you, my stepdaughter, and Swamp Thing together. For what? <laughs> right. This is the part of like, is this supposed to help you live forever somehow? I don't understand. Like, do you have to do it with the Swamp Thing hybrid? How do you make well, any of this work? You know what? We're overthinking it. They flip a switch and a bunch of science stuff happens. And they start transferring Heather Locklear's genetics into Dr. Arcane via this blue wave that, that passes from one to the other. And then Dr. Ursa increases the dosage and Dr. Arcane is getting more science put into his body, draining the genetic life force from Heather Locklear. And then Heather Locklear dies. That, that's right. That's about as dramatic it is in the movie. She's like, well, she's dead. Uh-huh. Meanwhile, Swamp Thing is first blooding his way through the compound by just punching dudes. There's a great where he like knocks some guy out and just you know like mounts a stair or something it's like this is too easy i'm (laughs) swamp thing (laughs) mr gun shows up in a jeep and he's shooting grenades from a like grenade launcher at swamp thing and then uh mr gun calls swamp thing mr potato head which you know 
beyond the pale, Mr. Gun. Swamp Thing at this point lobs a single grenade into Mr. Gun's Jeep and blows him the fuck up. I mean, he is all accounts most likely dead, definitely suffering from third degree burns, head to toe. Yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. No way he is ever coming back. No, except for two, three minutes when he does. What? But (laughs) but it's kind of a bummer because after uh, Swamp Thing, you know, makes him blow up with a grenade, like there's no snap. There's no like, this is too easy. Like there needs to be one here because Swamp Thing has become this kind of character in this film. It needs to be like, he really went to pieces, you know, something like that. He has no personality at all. <laughs> no. All we know is like, I have trippy roots hanging off my junk. It'll make you <laughs> trip sex. Back in the basement, Dr. Arcane is looking at himself in the mirror and he states that he feels so much younger, but then he looks at his palm and his hand and it's covered in bumps. And, you know, is that what hepatitis C looks like? Yeah. You know, Pamela Anderson, I, you know what? You know, we'll me, talk we'll talk about that yeah, later. Just I'm gonna I, put a pin in there. Yeah, I, I think I heard. <laughs> Dr. Arcane looks at his Hep C hand and then he pulls a canister out of the science machine and somehow realizes that Dr. Ursa uh, double crossed him and he's like, Oh, you know, you did this to me. I have a gun. Boom, you're dead. And Dr. Ursa is now dead. So let's just do a real quick recap. Dr. Ursa's dead. Uh-huh. Heather Locklear's dead. Uh-huh. Gun was blown up in the truck. Uh-huh. Um, Dr. Rochelle and his inhaler, he got stabbed in the neck and he's in a cage. Uh-huh. I think most every, uh, yeah, I mean, we're dropping like flies in this movie, right? Yeah, we're almost done. That feels good. <laughs> like when you see all these people laying around the set dead, you're like, oh yeah, we're down to, you know, Horatio and Hamlet. This is, we're almost out of here. Honey, get your purse together. We're going to beat the traffic. Swamp Thing comes in and he just throws a chair at Dr. Arcane and knocks him down. (laughs) That's pretty much the totality of their battle. Uh Uh-huh. Because this frail little Frenchman can't fight Swamp Thing, you know? it's uh, (laughs) Not in this form. No. And, you know, we already saw him turn into something in the last movie. We're not going to go down that road again. And from the locked chamber at this point, Dr. Rochelle and his inhaler show up. And he looks like this albino brainiac. And as he explodes out of the chamber, he double pumps the inhaler so that we as the audience know who this creature is. Because it looks nothing like the middle-aged bald actor from earlier in the movie. It's just a weird mutation. He looks like an outer space alien. Yeah. It's goofy. And then he and Swamp Thing wrestle, which for about 18 seconds at most. Yeah. And they're honest to goodness, like Batman 66 music stings when, when Swamp Thing punches the Rochelle monster. Yeah. It's like, but it's, again, it's all Cassio. So it's just, and then he beats him to death. Uh huh. And as soon as this character is reintroduced into the movie, he's dead. And well, he gets, he throws him in the, through the window of the Dr. Manhattan machine. Right. And that, I guess, kills him. And then, from nowhere, a disembodied voice says that the whole building is going to self-destruct in three minutes. (laughs) Right. Yeah, let's put a timer on this movie now. The ending of this movie has the delicate pacing of an afternoon playtime of a poorly supervised six-year-old boy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Swamp Thing goes over to Heather Locklear, who's dead, and then Swamp Thing kind of starts crying. Then the disembodied voice says, hey, Swamp Thing, we are down to two minutes. Tick tock, get out of the building. And Swamp Thing is just like, oh, yes, I'm Swamp Thing. I should probably leave. But then Mr. Gunn, the guy who was just blown up 
by an active grenade and a Jeep full of gasoline. He comes strolling in looking like Ash from the Evil Dead 2, chainsaw and all in his hand. It's again, it's one of those things that when you see it in the movie, you're like, what? He's not only is this character back from the dead, he brought a chainsaw. You know, we're making this movie sound a lot better than it, it is. I think it's just as good as we're making it sound. <laughs> so Mr. Gun and Swamp Thing do battle. And then Swamp Thing jams a grenade down Mr. Gun's pants and then blows him up again. And hopefully this one will do the trick. We'll see. Maybe not. Who knows? We'll see if this one sticks. <laughs> Swamp Thing carries Heather Locklear out of the lab, leaving Dr. Arcane, who's just chilling on the ground under the chair that he was hit with. And he's surrounded by all of his mutated creations like Dr. Moreau. The lab eventually just uh, blows up with Dr. Arcane and his nightmares inside as the, you know, countdown clock continues. And Swamp Thing marches out of the house with uh, Heather Locklear dead, laying in his arms. And just like Django and Broomhilda, they meander away as the entire mansion just blows the holy fuck up behind them. Yeah, yeah. The loose thread here is that Swamp Thing now holds the dead body of his would-be psychedelic lover, and we gotta we gotta wrap this up, and then we can all go home. Pretty much. So we're back in the swamp, and here Swamp Thing uses his magical swamp powers to bring Heather Locklear back to life, because Swamp Thing is Jesus? I don't know what he did. She's just not dead now. Yeah, it's it, it makes zero sense. Uh, like, like uh, his superpower the entire movie has just been punching people and also having icky sticky as part of his genetic makeup or something. But yeah, resurrection is, is a superpower where he's like, oh, he yes, has. I have the eerie power of life and death. Don't <laughs> worry about it. I'll never abuse it. I am Swamp Thing. <laughs> Omar and Daryl turns out are at the right place at the right time. And these two porno-loving, prepubescent thespians, they get some quick pictures of Swamp Thing, and they dash off. All's well that ends well. Yeah. And, and well, except the Swamp Thing is like, hey, I don't use that power a lot. Sometimes weird shit happens. And sure enough, like a little flower grows out of Abby's foot. And, and then they kiss, and we get a good old painted, like, the end. Uh, the end, roll credits, movie's over oh not so fast chad this is a superhero <laughs> movie after all so we get uh a, a real treat of the actor shots <laughs> with their names ending with the like dick duroc as swamp thing and he mounts like a stump with some light coming behind him and it really is a real <laughs> it's <laughs> it's pretty good but what the kids came for, Chad, is the post-credits tag scene, <laughs> which doesn't feature our heroes, much like most good tag scenes. No, 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 not at all. It's Omar and Daryl arguing uh -huh. outside of a one-hour photo mart. <laughs> yeah, because Daryl uh, and or Omar did not put film in the camera this whole time. You forgot to put film in the camera. I thought you were going to remember. <laughs> My dad's going to kill us. And then he's going to shit. <laughs> and then he's going to 
kill us. <laughs> <laughs> to the dulcet tones of Daryl screaming, we get a little and born on the bayou kicks right back in. You're like, oh, return to swamp thing. I didn't know I needed that until you did it. And I, I totally needed that. If you've never seen this movie, you absolutely should. And you absolutely should not. It, it's an absolute miscarriage of a film. It just also happens to be amazing. You know, with all of the the glut of superhero movies, good and bad, that have come out over the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, there are certain titles that haven't been tapped into. And I do think that someone could make a really good Swamp Thing movie. I don't know if it would necessarily need to have Daryl and Omar in it. I think Plastic Man is another one, you know, that's always been rumored to be out there, but never really made its way to the silver screen in any, you know, notable um you know, fully formed way. Right. But I wouldn't be surprised if DC, you know, went back to this well and, you know, tried to to resurrect it in some way. Oh, absolutely. I could I could totally see this being a successful property, actually. I, I think there's there is some meat on the bone of the story of this thing, you know, as as it ran in the comics. Or even if you just did it like it more in the style of creep show or even Tales from the Crypt, if you mm-hmm. made it sort of a hybrid of action and horror and you know tongue-in-cheek pun comedy you know that sort of thing i could see it you know being done and and be a lot of fun maybe not something that that is a a feature film release but certainly something with all of the different streaming options that are available um i could see swamp thing being you know really good if you've never seen swamp thing or return of swamp thing i highly recommend it they're great a sunday afternoon double feature of just lighthearted, crazy, insane 1980s entertainment. It I don't know that it gets much better than this. And I didn't say this at the upfront, but when we talked about this season and we looked at all of the movies we could do, I purposefully knew we were going to do this one because of Daryl's performance. I remember watching this decades ago and it just making such a lasting impression on me of I have never seen a performance on film that comes anywhere close to watching this roly-poly little kid painfully squawk out lines and then like clumsily fall over things. It's, it's just fantastic. It's, you know what it reminds me of? It's like, have you ever watched videos of puppies playing? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's like that. Uh-huh. Every second he is on screen is, <laughs> it's the best movie you've ever seen. It's the worst movie you've ever seen. Uh, it's, it's both of those things and more, and I can't recommend it enough, but Ch- Chad, we have to bid sadly, Adieu to uh, the return of Swamp Thing, our our dark horse uh, favorite of the season. And instead, turn our attention to next week when you will be uh, taking care of the film recommendation duties. And uh, do you want to talk about what's coming down the pipe? Coming up next week, we are going to visit the third film from a thespian, a man by the name of Shaquille O'Neal as he portrays the superhero Steel in a movie that is incredibly misguided, poorly received, and just an all-around wonderment of how it was created, executed, and ultimately was delivered. It's going to be great. And I say all of this um, with full transparency 
that I haven't seen the movie yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there's a lot of flying blind on this one. But I think I'm willing to trust us at this point to be able to sniff out a real stinker. Let me just say, this is a superhero movie starring Shaquille O'Neal that was incredibly poorly reviewed, where he plays a superhero who's basically Iron Man mm-hmm. fighting crime, and the main villain is Judd Nelson. I mean, just that that on paper is in the bullseye of everything that, that we do with this show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like somebody made a movie for us. <laughs> it's like those refrigerator magnets. If you just go through and you start plunking words together, it's like, well, this looks awful. Let's do that. Right, right. The only combination that might be better is like Gary Busey, John Malkovich, and... Gilligan's Island remake. <laughs> Yeah, as a musical. <laughs> right. Of course. Give me that. Uh-huh. Give me a, is there a part two? Because I'll start there and work my way backwards. Yeah, none of this can be good. No, 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 no. Uh, Not at all. I'm I'm excited, Chad. Uh, Come back next week. Join us again. Um, we'll have interesting fun facts. Um, a whole lot of history around uh, uh, Steel, the character, um, the the people who are behind it. They have some pretty interesting pedigrees of the television shows and other movies that they worked on. And really, I would say that this is truly one of those movies where marketing really led the movie by its nose. And you pretty much see what you got. so uh and hey folks if you would as you're listening to these shows if you're enjoying them be sure you leave a rating that uh helps out a ton and and most importantly the if you're enjoying listening to the program the best thing you can do is just tell somebody uh if they want to know why you're snickering over bad impressions uh at your desk or in traffic uh particularly in traffic you should just yell the name of the show out the window preferably yeah hell help spread the word if you can and i think that's it for this episode on the return of swamp thing we will be back uh next week um with more pick six movies we will see you then 